Welcome to broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Uh, we're in a series uh, called White as Snow. White as Snow. This is White as Snow part two. And uh, we, we get it from Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. It says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. When, when God said he's about to settle something, you better just watch out. It's like he's, he's about to settle it. This, this is, the debate needs to end. This, this is over. We're going to settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be or they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This scripture, we talked about this, Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is all about this. This was a prophetic scripture, a prophetic saying, a, a prophetic word that was given that though there are things that mark you and mar you, there is coming a redeemer, a Messiah, a chosen one who is going to be able to take what just stained you and make it white as snow. White as snow. Some of you came in even today and, and you're living under shame or you're living under condemnation. And maybe even from this week or this weekend, you came in and you're just like, man, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's thinking about these things. I'm just going to tell you that the blood of Jesus, we learned this last, last week, the blood of Jesus doesn't stop at different degrees of sin. There is just one sin and his blood can cover it all. It covers everything. It covers it whether it's a little bit or a lot. It covers it whether it's extreme or barely enough. It covers it if it was yesterday or if it covers it, it covers it if it was years ago. And the promise in Isaiah is that there would be someone that would come that would have the ability to make the things that have stained you as white as snow. In our second part today, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5. Romans is an amazing uh, theological book, and uh, it can be confusing at times. All kinds of debates and uh, all kinds uh, of teachings uh, out of the book of Romans. And uh, we're not going to jump into the depths uh, of some of these things, but we're going to skim over the best we can some of the elementary, elementary principles of the gospel that make white as snow possible for me and for you. That makes Christmas be more than just a holiday. It makes it be a strategy of God to combat the plan of the enemy in your life. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We're just going to take this first verse and go from here. It says, therefore, since we have been, past tense, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you reverse engineer this, this means that to have peace with God, we have to be justified by faith. Just reverse it. Okay, it says that you've been justified through faith and now you have peace with God. So in order to have peace with God, I have to be justified. Justification means this. The definition is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. It is the action of declaring one or making one righteous in the sight of God. Another way to say it is justification is just as if you've never sinned. It's a good way to remember it. Justification. Just as if I've never sinned. So in order to have peace with God, I have to know that I have been justified. That means I have been made right with God. I have been made in right standing or declared righteous by God. 
When I was growing up, uh, I've told most of you this uh, in different messages, but I uh, used to buy and sell cars all the time, just on my own to make money in my teenage years. As soon as I started driving, I started buying, started selling, and I would flip cars and uh, get an upgrade, flip cars, get an upgrade, flip cars, make some money, get an upgrade. And uh, so I had uh, one of my favorite cars I had was, was a Mercedes, and uh, it was beautiful. Black on black is what I always wanted, and I finally had saved up enough to get this car, and uh, my dad was the pastor of a little church in a small city, and so he's like, you know, do you really have to drive that? I'm like, Dad, like, I, I, I earned this in my own money. Like, I can buy whatever I want. He's like, yeah, but people are looking at me weird because you're driving that. I just roll up to church like, how y'all? And they're like, you're an intern here? I'm like, yeah, what about it? I mean, it's like, do I not have the ability to make money either? I mean, it's like, wow. So, so you know, I got a, little, got a little grief for the Mercedes. But this one, uh, I did something that I normally didn't ever do when I flipped cars, is I bought it because it was immaculate. But I bought it with a salvage title. Now, if you know anything about a salvage title, salvage title means that the car has been wrecked. It's been wrecked some way, and the insurance company has deemed it uh, irreparable or totaled, as we would hear. We know that phrase, total. And when it's totaled, then it gets the title changed from clear to salvage. And so I got an opportunity to get this car, and I was going to get a really good deal because it was a salvage title. Salvage titles cannot be replaced. You know, you, you, once a car is salvaged, you can never change it. You, you, can, you can never switch it. You can never clean it. You can never repair it. The only thing you can do is restore it. You can be, it can be restored or it can be reconstructed. You can say, well, I have, I have a restored title. That means that a salvage title, the, the salvage title, the car of the salvage title has now been repaired to a point where authorities will deem it restored. But it can never, it can never, it is impossible to go back to a clear title. Now, as we're talking about justification, I, I want to tell you something about this, and I'm going to give you this small picture that I believe takes a very complex theological truth and makes it so simple for un us to understand, is God did not take our salvage life through Jesus. God did not take our salvage life and make us a medium version, better version of what we used to be. He did not restore your salvage title. He did not repair your salvage title. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means to me and to you is that each and every one of us have a salvage title. That when we look at you, when you're examined by God, we look at you and you look great, but your title is salvage. See, that's why some of us, we work so hard to repair the outside, and we work so hard to repair all our deeds. We work hard, and we come to church, and we go, grow, go to growth track, and we are a lead team. We lead a group. We do all of those things, but all of those works will do nothing for my title. See, this Mercedes that I had, I'm telling you, it was gorgeous. My dad, I brought it home, and he's like, you know, this is going to cause me a lot of grief, but that is one beautiful car. I said, Dad, check it out. Check it out. Come look. He's like, there's seriously nothing wrong with this car. I'm like, I know. It was repaired as if it was new. And he's like, yeah, but it still has a salvage title. I said, well, yeah, but still, Dad, look at it. No one will ever know. And he said, no one will ever know until you try to sell it. Because you won't be able to sell it for the same price that you bought it because now, now it's salvaged. See, me and you, we can look brand new. 
Oh, we can put on our Sunday best. We can come to church all ready to roll. We can come to the 930 worship experience. All those backsliders are sleeping in, but y'all are here. I mean, we, we, we can walk right into this worship experience, and we can feel good about how we are, how we look, how we run, how we operate. But if someone ducked down deep into your heart, your title, salvaged. It's, it's salvaged. You're, you're, you're not clean. You're not clear. You're salvaged. And as long as I had that car, nobody knew that it was a salvage title. People look at it. People are jealous of it. Man, I, that thing looked nice. I mean, it, it's just like, it, it, it was beautiful, but nobody knew it was salvaged. This is what Jesus did. Is He did not come to make your salvage title and rebuild you and remake you. And now we can say, ah, oh, I can get the title changed to restored. The Bible says what Jesus did is he justified you, which means just as if you were never in a wreck, just as if you were never in an accident, just as if you never went through what you went through, just as if. He says it's only a miracle that can do this. He says you're justified. He says you have a clean title. You got a clear title. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 to 19 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. One act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. You need to know this, that justification is not a process. Many of you think justification is a process. You're, work, you're working on that justification. I got to make sure there's no scratches, no dents. I got to make sure that nobody can see anything. I got to make sure that nobody checks my Facebook. I got to go make sure that I got to delete those photos from a while ago. And, and I, I, I got I to make sure. I'm going to tell you this, that justification happens in an instant. When he declares you righteous, you are justified, which means you, are, you have been given a clear title. You know, I've, I've, been got, I've gotten some wrecks before, fender benders, or, or I, I actually rear-ended somebody one time on the freeway in traffic. I was looking at something out the window and just idling. I was just going slow, and they had stopped, and I bumped into them. Literally, that's all it was, like, a, like bumped into them. And I'm like, hey, Dustin, how could, you, how could you be so stupid? You know, I'm upset. Did you know that I didn't get a salvage title because I had an accident? Because I had a clean title. And it didn't do enough to wreck me. So it didn't do enough to salvage me. Now, now listen, you've you got to follow this all the way through, is that when God justifies you, there is now nothing that you can do outside of lack of faith in him to deem you a salvage title. You now have access to a clean, clear title by your faith in the blood of Jesus whenever and however you choose to receive it. Justification is not a process. It is a one-time act, complete and definitive. Justification does not make us righteous, but rather pronounces, it declares us righteous. To any argument, to any enemy, to any accuser, it declares they are and they have been justified. God gave of himself. This is why he gave Jesus. This is why we have Christmas, is God gave of himself. 
to save us from him. Because in our frailty, in our, you cannot, I don't know if you know this or not, but you cannot take a salvage title and sell it at most car lots. They actually have in writing a, a, a law or a, a, a code that they follow as a dealership that says we will not sell salvage titles. I'm going to tell you this, that your God cannot come in contact with salvage titles. And that broke God's heart because he loved us even though we were salvaged. He loved us even though we were wrecked. He loved us even though we disappointed him. He loved us even though we turned our back on him. He loved us even though we were complacent. He loved us even though we were passive. He loved us even though we loved others. He loved us even though we ran after different gods. He loved, he loved us so much, he says, i got to find a way to get in touch with the salvage title. But God was not a God that would operate outside of himself. He had to operate by the laws and by the rules that were written and set up. So someone had to come in our place so that he could still punish, that he could still appease the wrath that our sin deserved. Justification does not just make us righteous. It pronounces us righteous. God gave himself to save us from his own wrath. Not just forgiven, but declared not guilty at all. See, this, that's just hard for some of us to understand. Is He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to forgive that laundry list of, my goodness, what you have been through. I, I'm going to forgive it all. Justification says, I don't even see it. You were never in a wreck. You, you never turned your back on me. I'm seeing He sees us through a lens of perfection that only came through the best Christmas present ever, Jesus. It's the only only way that it came. Justification has all kinds of different aspects, but there's some things that happened on the cross that worked for and with our justification. I'm going to give them to you. Some of them are big words, uh, and and, and so we're going to move quickly through them, but I need you to catch it. And and I'm going to give you a a complex theological thought in justification with a simple analogy in salvage and clean. Now let me give you a couple points from here, and it's all going to come together. I'm telling you, we're going to leave rejoicing today that Jesus came, was willing to come, And to be the go-between, the substitute, the atonement for me and for you. The first thing that happened on the cross that worked with our justification and for our justification was redemption. We talked about this last week. And if you missed it, you can check it on the podcast. Redemption means that he paid our ransom to redeem us from the slavery that we were in. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about this last week, that Jesus actually came to pay the price. So when the nativity scenes out, and Mary and Joseph and the angels, and there's baby Jesus in the manger, that was God sitting back and saying, okay, here comes my strategy. I see the salvage titles of the world. They think it's just Christmas. This is my divine strategy to set them free. This, this, this is my work to buy them back. Because all of us were in slavery. 
That's what we learned last week is that we were in slavery to sin. We were in slavery to darkness. We were in slavery to the title that the world had put on us. But Jesus came in the fullness of time, in the right time, in the perfect time, in the opportune time, in the divine moment, so that we could be redeemed. And we talked about in the book of Hosea, Hosea and Gomer, uh, Hosea's wife, Gomer, she became unfaithful to him. She was a prostitute. She was sold into slavery as a prostitute. And the Bible teaches us in Hosea that he, in, in obedience to God, went and bought his own wife back out of prostitution. And God begins to lay out his love for me and for you and for Israel and for the church in saying, this is how I love my people even when they are unfaithful. I love them. E- even when they've turned their back on me, they've cheated on me. I love them. And so he had Hosea do a prophetic act in going and buying back an adulterous wife to show us what Jesus would do for us, his church, that he would go and he would buy back an adulterous us, an adulterous people. People that had been caught up with other things. People that had been caught up with busyness or other ways or other, other dependencies outside of him. We are justified through our redemption. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Some of you get that. Some of that, it's, it's a little too much. We'll, we'll, we'll move quickly and we'll explain it. But you got to understand there was, there was atonement that was bought. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption by him buying us back. What was the currency in which he bought us with is his innocent blood. The only currency that could buy back our freedom was pure and innocent blood. He redeemed us. The second one is a word, and I love, I love this word. It's called propitiation. Propitiation. It means this, that it is the atoning sacrifice. Or it is, it is where God expounds or releases his wrath. Now you've got to understand this about God. God is just. God can't cheat his own rules, which means that God has to punish sin. That's, that's his rules. He set it up. He has to abide by it. Propitiation is a twofold process. One is expiation, which is actually the removal of sin, and one is propitiation, which is expiation plus removal of anger. There's twofold. It's one just to say, I forgive you of the sin, but it's also another thing to say, I'm also not even angry at your sin. The holiness of God has to be angry with sin. The problem is some of us, we think that we are sin. You are not sin, you have sinned. There's a huge difference. When God is angry at sin, he's not angry at you. He's angry at the sin that has kept you in bondage, which is why he sent Jesus to free us from the slavery that we are walking in so that we could have peace. That's what our scripture says from the very beginning. He says, we've been justified freely so that we can have peace in God. Isn't it wild, the things that we look to for peace? The things we try to find peace in. We say all the time, peace is not the the absence of problems. It's the presence of God. Romans takes it a step further and says, peace is this. Knowing that you have been declared clean in a salvaged world. Knowing that he gives you a brand new title with a life that already has some miles on it. Knowing that he looks at us and says, just as if you never sinned. 
propitiation. He had to. God had to punish sin. There was no way around it. So he had to send a substitute. That atoning sacrifice is our propitiation. First John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as our propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He sent Jesus to be that sacrifice because Jesus was, we learned this last week, the only acceptable sacrifice. There is no service, sacrifice, or gift that man can offer that will appease the holy wrath of God or satisfy his perfect justice. The only thing that works is the sacrifice of Jesus, his pure and innocent Blood. There's a quote by John Stott. He says this, God's own great love propitiated his own holy wrath through the gift of his own dear son who took our place, bore our sin, and died our death. God exhausted his wrath on Jesus so that he wouldn't have to use it on us. Let me just, I'm, I'm using some of these big, big thoughts and, and big ideas. Let me just make it really simple. Is that God had to punish the sin in me. And so when Jesus was born in the manger and he grew up and he offered himself as a sacrifice, he offered himself as a substitute. So he said, God, the anger that you would have to expound or release on Dustin, release it on me. And then on the cross, Jesus actually served as our scapegoat, taking on himself the shame the disappointment, the punishment, the sin of us all. And it says, God, this word is, is wild. It, it's, he exhausted his wrath on the sin that was hanging on Jesus me and your, m- from me and you. It says, he exa- and the picture of exhausted, and I've, I've used this before, the picture of exhausted is like a toddler who throws a tantrum and has no more strength left, and finally they collapse. Not that that's ever happened in my house. Ever. Like a toddler just collapses. They have no more strength, no more energy to throw the tantrum. Says that's what God did with his wrath. He expounded it all. So some of you who are feeling like God's angry with you, I got news for you. He doesn't even have any anger left. Well, man, I just really, I've really messed up. You, you may have, but what Jesus did on the cross was not just past tense. It was also for the future. So that he didn't just take the sins that had already been committed, but he took the sins that would be committed in the future, and he took them on himself. So God, and if you excuse this, this um, violent terminology, God beat his son. He released his wrath onto the whipping post called Jesus so that me and you could walk free. I'm not trying to take it too far or take you too deep into this. I just... I just want us to know when we're looking at Christmas, this thing is bigger than what we've ever imagined. This thing is greater than anything we've ever thought about. This is more beautiful than we ever thought possible. It's that God said, I've got to get close to those salvage titles. And they said the only way is Jesus' pure blood. And Jesus said, I'm willing. God said, I'm willing. Let's do this. And so they came together, and Jesus became our propitiation. The third one, and I love this, is demonstration. Demonstration. 
I don't know about you, but I love people that don't just talk about things, but they do things. I like, I like it when we make it, make it happen. You know, there's, there's people that can talk a great game, and you, they get branded as that. You just know it. It's like, oh, yeah, they're talking. It's like, it might be true. It might not be. Uh, they're talking. It's like, you know what? Some of it might be true. Some of it might not be true. But there's some people that are just action people. And before they've said anything, they'll just start to do it. So you know if they say something, it's about to happen. God is a demonstrator. He's not just throwing out empty promises and throwing out things to make us chase him or run after him or try to do something for him. He just says, I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to show you what I mean. Romans chapter 3. We read 23 and 24 last week, but let's read 25 and 26. It says, God presented Christ... Now we know what this is. He presented Christ, the propitiation. He presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. That's how we receive it, by faith. He did this. How did he do it? He did it. Why did he do it? He did it to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. There's so much here. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let me just say a couple words about this. What this is saying is that God demonstrated his righteousness in this. Righteousness means right standing with God. Which means that God would have to excuse or compromise himself if he were to forgive sins without punishing sins. So he, it wasn't like God just came up with this strategy and just said, I mean, th- this thing is so deeply theological, it, it could like put you in, in, in the Bible for the next 40 years and you'd just be like coming up for air. It, it, it's, it's huge. It's massive. But in simple terms, th- this is what it is, is God did not just operate outside of himself and say, oh yeah, they're sinners, but I'm going to forgive them. And now this is a cool little religion we have. It's Christianity. It's awesome. And, and now we have Christmas. And we all It was this so intense, so specific that because of the laws that were broken, those trespasses had to be forgiven. So this is how he demonstrates his righteousness is he says, I'm not going to let the sins go unpunished. I'm just going to let a substitute step in. And this is how I'm going to demonstrate that I am just. Because if we would have sinned and he would have let us off, then we would have thought we got pardoned or we thought we escaped with one or we thought we think that is great that we think that's grace is that he's letting us slip away with one. no 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 it is impossible for him as a holy god to let a sin slide so we said i love him so much i have to have a substitute someone that will be their propitiation someone that will be their go between and will make a way that I cannot just restore them or rebuild them or reconstruct them. But I can, and this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He says that you need to be born again. Why did he say that? Why didn't he just say, I'm going to make you better? Why did he say you have to be born again? Because it is impossible to take what is salvaged and restore it back to its original condition. The only way to be born clean is to be born Again, the only way for a car to go from salvage to clean is for this car to be created 
or born or constructed. Once it's salvaged, you can't go back. So God says, I'll make a way in my own way. And that way is Jesus. And I'll do this. Satan thought he had him. But I'm going to get in the way. And I'm going to send my son. And my son Jesus will be the substitute. It will be their atonement. It will be their go-between. It will be their whipping post, their scapegoat. Jesus will stand in the way. And I will punish the sin on Jesus so that they can be born again. That's why when we say whoever is in Christ is a new create, new, not restored, not recovered, brand new. The old has, the old is gone and the new has come. See, this salvation thing is bigger than just saying a prayer. It is bigger than just coming together on a little Sunday morning, 9.30, and we just worship and do our thing and go out and do the rest of the week and just do regular life. No, this changes everything. That type of love, that type of focus, that type of strategy, that type of aggressive tenacity to have relationship with us, it's got to be responded to. It has to be returned. Let me give you another picture uh, from the scripture and we'll close. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2, the verse we started with and the second verse in the message. Okay, it's a paraphrase translation. I want to give it to you. It says, by entering through faith, into, so we enter through faith, into what God has always wanted to do for us. He set us right with Him. Make us fit for Him. We have it all together with God. Because of our master, Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. Standing tall and shouting our praise. Does that not sound just amazing? I was staying at a hotel a couple years ago, and you had the adjoining doors, right, the adjoining rooms. And so I'm always just curious in general, but I was curious, you know, because I'm always like, you know, who's on the other side of this room? And there's two doors, right? There's a door to your room, and there's a door to their room. So I just have this weird OCD thing that I always have to open my door to make sure their door is shut. Okay, I just want to, like, make sure we got two levels of division between these rooms, and so I opened this door to find their door open. It's cracked. And I'm like, uh, you know, this is awkward now. Like if they shut theirs and I'm there, we're both like, ah, uh, what are you doing? Checking your doors to see if your door's shut. I mean, it's like, there's no, ex I mean, it's just, I look weird. And so I, I'm like, um, should I shut theirs, you know? So I just, I pulled theirs short, shut real quick and then slammed my shut and locked it and um, hoping that nobody was in, was in the room. And I was praying this week and I remembered that. And I was reading this scripture in the message. And it says this. It says that when we open our door to God, we find that his door is open to us. It is like adjoining rooms, and we finally decide by faith to, to, to say, let's just see. And we open, expecting there to be a shut door. 
expecting there to be something we have to do, expecting there has to be something that we have to break through, expecting there to be something that we have to perform for, expecting there to be something that we have to deliver on. And we open that door by faith, and the door is wide open, standing as open as can be, that if we so desire, we can step into, we can walk into, and we can receive the grace that only comes through Jesus. That's how good he is. That's how good he is. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've been through. No, he knows, and I'll tell you how he knows. He felt it. Oh, you don't know what I did to my wife seven years ago. Guess what? He does know because he felt it. He felt it. Well, you don't understand. I've really done some bad things, Pastor. I know. So have I. And he felt it. And then some of you are sitting here, and you know, you know what? I've lived a pretty good life. And I'm going to tell you, you look as good as my Mercedes did. But your title is still salvaged. Doesn't matter how you look at it. Doesn't matter how many times you come to church. Doesn't matter how you try to get around it. Your title, friend, is salvaged. So you can tell me how many Hail Marys you've done. You can tell me how many times you've come to church. You can tell me how good you've been, how much money you've given. But at the end of the day, if we get under the hood and we check in the driver, in the glove compartment, and we check the title, it says salvaged. And the only way that title gets changed is faith in Jesus and his blood as the substitute, as the go-between. You can receive, even today, you could receive a clean title by faith. I felt God speak to me this morning as I was going over my notes, about ready to come out here. And God told me to tell you, if you're watching online, this is for you right now. God told me to tell you that some of you, you've been walking around with shame about a salvage title. And that if you would have the faith to open the door, you would find that the door has been opened. I remember this scripture. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens, opens the door, I'm telling you, God wants to change the way that you see Christmas. God wants to change the way you see Him. God wants to change the way you live your life. You can't give God a half-hearted worship when you see what He's done. You can't give God half-hearted praise when you see what He's done. You can't serve Him out of religious duty when you see that He's already opened the door for you. Your works can't open it. Your good deeds can't open it. He opened it because of His great love and His great grace. It's the only thing that can open the door into him and he said I love you so much I'll throw open the door and anytime you so choose to open your door it is open for you to come into relationship with me to be justified just as if you've never sinned would you stand up with me thanks for listening you can find out more about us at church1132.com